Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. The thought of what somebody could have done to him, it gives you nightmares. Just gotta go get him and get him back here where he's safe. I didn't see how I could not document him as a U.S. citizen. We had no idea what kind of person we were getting. They look very different. There was just something wrong about it. Something was being hidden and I didn't know what that was. Good evening and welcome to television. G'day! Hello! Hello! Hey! Hey. I'm Wayne Cellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. That's right, Philip. And what have you been watching since our last podcast? I've been watching a Netflix original series called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It predominantly stars Andy Samberg of SNL and Lonely Island fame, but also has Terry Crews, one of my absolute favourite actors at the moment, comedians at the moment. He's amazing. Yeah, talented team, hey? Talented team, talented team. So I've been watching that with Kirsten. Oh, nice one. Hmm. Nice one. A future... Critic for Fred Watch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> and how about yourself? What are you... Well, like you, I went for a comedy, but had different results. So I watched the film adaptation of the TV series of Baywatch, yeah. starring Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron. Look, I don't want to call it a colossal piece of shit, but it was oh, pretty really? close there. Yeah. I haven't seen it, and I was hoping it was just self-referential. No, no, I would not recommend it. It's um, If you want to think about... The adaptation and the reboot, if you will, of 21 Jump Street, that did it so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this one was pretty boring, which is a shame mm. because it's got such a great cast. Yeah. They've all got rapport. They look like they're having fun. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is a shame. They're having fun, but I don't think the audience did. Yeah. I know I certainly didn't. Which is a shame because <laughs> the trailer makes it look so good. Yeah, I don't remember the trailer because it's been a while, but I feel like it's one of those ones that has all the best bits in the trailer from the film. We watched it last year on Friday Nights at Fred's right. and it was just an absolute riot of a yeah. trailer yeah. which by now hearing that I it was one of those ones I was gonna see <laughs> never got around to seeing but from what you've just said it sounds like they may have put the best bits in the trailer yeah well it would be interesting Philip if you ever get around to watching it mm. definitely let me know what you thought but yeah, sure. was not impressed by it at all again disappointed because it's such a great cast yeah lots of potential and of course when you've got a title like Baywatch everything is beautiful <laughs> So, what are we watching today? Yeah, well, today we're reviewing The Impostor. Please explain. In 1997, French confidence trickster Frédéric Bourdin convinces Spanish authorities that he is Nicholas Barclay, a Texan boy who disappeared at the age of 13 over three years earlier. Despite being and appearing several years older than Barclay, speaking in a French accent and having different hair and eye colour, a majority of Barclay's family members accept Bourdin as their long-lost relative. But private investigator Charlie Parker and FBI agent Nancy Fisher are onto him, having not been completely convinced by Bourdin's story. So, Philip, were you onto the imposter? <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> this is probably the first Fred Watch where I've actually gotten up, gone to get my notepad... And just written down questions. You definitely seemed into it. There was a moment where I could hear pens scratching on paper. Yeah, yeah. So I won't jump into my questions just this second. And I also realise that my questions are not answerable questions. (laughs) But I do think they'll be interesting for a discussion about it all. Well, it all starts with our protagonist. Yes. So, Frederick himself... What were your thoughts on him? He's an interesting character, isn't he? When I watch documentaries, I always try to put myself 
into minds. I try to put myself not only in the mind of current day me yeah. watching this documentary, but also what would they have been thinking at that time? Yes. Now, this is set in the 90s. That's this, right. This happened in the 90s. Yes. And is at a time where mental health, where, where the mind, where grief, where why people do stuff was being truly discovered. Yeah. 20 years before the 70s, etc. You know, they started up to discover mental health properly. Mm. Before that, you know, you're just thrown in an asylum, etc. But <laughs> yeah. we won't get into that. But they started to understand, okay, well, maybe this isn't people's fault. And really, the 90s was the golden age of discovery for mental health. Right. Which... I tried to set myself in this time frame of why would he do this? Yeah. But then how how are certain people okay with certain things? Um, for example, I didn't understand. This guy was supposedly, as we find out at the end of the piece, this guy has a, a history of impersonation. Yes. So at what point did he not think think to describe on the phone so we we get a scene where he's describing to american police Mm -hmm. what this kid supposedly is i.e describing himself and trying to see if he gets a hit yes problem is he obviously didn't describe that well because we get the match quote unquote of a blonde hair blue-eyed child now this man frederick is black hair (laughs) yeah Hazel eyes or brown yeah. eyes. Yeah, brown eyes. Quite dark, actually. Quite dark. Why wouldn't you say on the phone, oh, you know, describe the kid, his, you know, uh, yeah. uh, dark hair, black hair, uh, uh, hazel eyes. You know, you're still going to get a hit. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Frederick is one of those people, as you say, has been doing this habitually. Mm. And for me, there's a sense of survival. So mm. he does try to get the audience on side very early on by explaining the detachment, I guess, yeah. that he's had with people. Oh, yeah. He himself he, says, he, you know... abused, he was... Well... Well, there definitely seemed to be some sort of neglect. He's not somebody who enjoys being touched, for example. Um, He never knew his father. His mother had him when he was young. Mm. All of these things that tick a lot of boxes that we see that affect people right throughout adulthood. And so he's used impersonation. Being somebody else, Mm. I'm not accepted as I am now because my identity in itself, I guess, is questionable. Yeah. So he's used this as a defense mechanism, as a bit of survival protection for himself. Yeah. So I feel like that when he's making that call to that police station or to the authorities over in the States, he's really going on survival, on Mm. instinct. Throw what you want at me. It does not matter. Yeah. I've got these Spanish officials in the next room. I can only be quiet for so long. I need an out. Yeah. And you always sense that he's trying to always think one step ahead, but doesn't really go there. Even at that point, though, I was like, well, why wouldn't you say, hey, someone with black hair, he supposedly had most of the night. He supposedly had, you know, enough time to ring several places. Surely to goodness you would, yes, be vague, but still be specific enough to not trigger off anything. I just, I just would have thought that if you've, especially once you learn he's done it a few times, that means he's been caught a few times. Yeah. That means he should have learnt from his previous stuff. And that's what really confused me. Well, we know that this is his MO. I mean, the history of mm. him that is explored or explained in this film is that he tends to impersonate juveniles. Yes. It tends to be... A child. So yes. 
when he did this, he was about 22, 23. Yeah. Impersonating somebody who'd been abducted when they were 13 would now have been about 17. Yeah, 16, 17. So he was already sort of punching a few years above his weight there, but committed to it. Yes, yes. And I wonder if there's this underlying thrill of getting caught. We know that he's scared a lot of the time, that he's just trying to think what's going to happen to me here. Again, it's this adrenaline, this need to survive. Yeah. But I don't know. He's done this so many times, like you said, Philip. To some degree, it must work for him because he doesn't seem to have changed his MO at all. It seems like that one of his first main priorities is just to have some shelter. Yeah. I mean, he just said, you know, I knew that if I said I was a child, I knew... You know, if I said X, Y, Z, I would be put in a children's home or a children's shelter overnight. Hmm. You know, he just wanted somewhere to be safe from the cold and wet. So what other thoughts did you have about him? Did you feel sorry for him at all? Oh, that ebbed and flowed. Yes. I definitely, I think in the long run, and again, this is where I put my today cap on. Yes. That I felt sorry for him in a mental health capacity. Right. We know these days that for a lot of people, it's a compulsion. It's something they can't help. That mm. they Even a lot of people say they don't want to be doing this stuff, but they always find themselves going back to it. Like an addiction. Like an addiction, It offers yeah. some comfort for him because That's he's it. It. getting some validation or love. That's it. And we know that for a lot of people these days, again, that we, try to, we can help mm. a lot of this. In the 90s, there was little to no help. He would have just been seen as a scumbag, a criminal, a lowlife. What's the ulterior motive? We see the complete confusion in the FBI as to why would he do this? And also, as we'll talk later, why does the family accept it? Um, But also... You know, from the PI, he's like, oh, he must have been a spy. He can't (laughs) fathom that someone would go to all this length just because of a compulsion, just because he wants to feel loved, just because he wants a place to be. Well, let's be honest. It is an extraordinary thing. I mean, he is. There he is. He's um, based in Europe. And there's a lot of countries in Europe, but he chooses overseas. Yeah. yeah. It is an extraordinary thing to get caught. You know, when you've got borders and so forth. Yes, you know, you can't move around borders that freely generally but you know if you're in europe it's easier to get to and from places to sneak in and out just in case you get caught or busted or anything like that but he does so i can appreciate why the private investigator why charlie would be like there has to be something big because you know what philip it's kind of like what you've been alluding to just the idea of wanting to be loved Mm. probably he can't fathom that because what an extraordinary thing to do. Yeah. Just to feel accepted. Yeah. There's that bit of tragedy there going on. Most certainly. Yeah. I can actually bring this and I'm going to, uh, you know, change the names to protect the innocent. But I, <laughs> I actually have, I have a couple of acquaintances. Yes. That on a lower scale than this, um, they have this thing where they actually pretend to have a mental disorder. Oh, wow. And the only reason I know is because, and again, it's a no with a very tentative no. Yes. Because it's the other side is if they've actually got it, then sorry. But <laughs> um, the thing is, only at the surface does the mental, their portrayal of the mental disorder um, happen. Right. Uh, match. Okay. As soon as you start to go a little bit deeper you start to see all the flaws and that's the only reason i know full well that they are pretending and the reason that 
I am convinced they're pretending is because of this wanting to fit in, wanting to be accepted, because they found online, if they put on this persona, they would be accepted and brought into a loving community. Their background is actually fairly abusive, so I can see why that they have wanted to put on this show. Yeah, so this sort of facade yeah. says, look, this is a label that I can put on that's recognisable yeah, that's it. by people. So with that, give me some love, I guess, yeah, for it. lack no, of a better it. term. And give me to- some attention. Give me some love. Yeah. Give me some hope. Yeah, you know and I mean? yeah, and I didn't want to be complicit or brush aside, mm-hmm. but just to sort of encompass all those feelings. Mm-hmm. And we can probably link that to Frederick as well. I feel so, yes. It's not something that I ever considered, so this is the second time I had seen The Imposter, and mental health never came across to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yes, the idea of needing to be accepted, of needing to be loved, of never really fitting in or belonging, it's almost like this random jigsaw puzzle piece that's trying to fit in these little holes to create a bigger picture and he's trying really hard i feel myself a little bit conflicted about this protagonist about this imposter because yes i can empathize with him about wanting to feel accepted but in saying that the way he goes about it because this is not the first family he's done this Mm. to to give false hope to people who are grieving yes. or who have probably healed, maybe. Yes. And then to have something a bit more... Rip it apart Rip again. it open. In terms of this family and grief, we have this acceptance that, on the surface, seems quite extraordinary. Mm. Yes, your long-lost son, brother, has had a massive growth spurt. <laughs> he speaks with a French accent. He really doesn't remember a lot. Yes, you know, there's all of these stories made up about trauma and so forth that legitimizes in terms of memories. But there's just that element of physicality that you just go, it's a stretch, but I really want it to be true. And that's it. If we take this at face value, because the documentary does go into some other uh, explanations, as it were. Absolutely. I feel that we can assume that there is... Again, this the brain's ability to be able to look past things. Yes. Oh, he's got hazel eyes. They tortured me and changed the, my eye colour. Yeah. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense to the logical brain, but no. to the emotional, I want this to be real. Because it's a reason. It's and a you reason can... your brain will accept it. Yeah. And look, I don't know much about changing one's eye colour, but... You think, okay, well, he says he's been kidnapped by military people who are quite, you know, have resources, yep. have are of a capacity yep. to do things that I can't do in my small Texan town. Yep. I will absolutely mm. believe it. And not to say anything negative about this family, because I can only go on a portrayal, but you do sense a bit of sheltering to broader yes. things. Yes. You know, for example, and I know it was just a bit of a, a mistake, but, you know... The, the sister, Kerry, essentially implying that Spain was across the country yes, as opposed yes. to the she other side of the that, world. She makes that sort of... She makes that off-the-cuff statement. Yes. And, and you do sort of get the feeling that she didn't then back up and go, oh, so, I mean, across the world, can we redo that? That's right. That's her statement. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, you know, it is a filmmaker and editor definitely wanting to portray these people. Yes, as a at, little bit simple. As a bit simple. And mm. I guess really just humble people. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it seems... I wouldn't say their area is rural, but it is definitely small town. Everyone knows everyone type thing, which again suggests that Frederick fooled a lot more people beyond the scope of what this documentary yes. is showing because 
Nicholas seemed to be a very outgoing kid. He was quite street smart. Mm -hmm. So he would have interacted with a lot of people, you know, his own age and within the community. And, you know, to have Frederick impersonate him, a lot of people, I guess, wanted to believe it. Yeah, that's it. You know, and we can see in his interviews as well, Frederick has an element of charm. Mm. He's a great storyteller. Oh, yeah. How much of it can we really believe, though? Let's be honest. Mm. After saying that, though, it would have been interesting to see if he'd been able, if he had have been able to carry it out for more years. Yeah, because he gets caught after about four months. Yes, it doesn't take long, but it is a few months, and it's a few months. But if you look into trauma, mm. and if you look into what people are happy to allow people time, and oh, he needs time, he needs time, he needs of course, time, then he can keep up this shy guy persona. Appearance, etc. Yeah. For that four months. Now, if he'd been going for a few years, people might start questioning. Well, how hasn't he the, the a bit of him actually come back? Right. How hasn't he actually sort of come back a bit? Yeah, and you're right. And you're talking about somebody who has, well, the perception is been missing for a few years. Mm. And you know, we as human beings will experience different levels of trauma and traumatic experiences. It could even be witnessing a car accident forever. Now that moment lasts a few seconds, a minute or two, but that can take a lot of therapy sessions over a few years to heal, to sort of work with and deal with. Now let's imagine this poor kid has been gone for several years and is experiencing trauma on a daily basis. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Philip. That's not just going to go away overnight. Yeah. So yeah, so people wanting to maybe respect his time and his own space absolutely makes Mm. sense i mean he seems to have gotten involved in the community back to school he's talked to people Um, etc etc there's a girl that he likes (laughs) allegedly likes but again it is this persona i mean Mm. frederick is obviously a fantastic actor yeah 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 um i would like to point out a few little things that threw me yeah and they sort of got answered as they went on but they got answered a lot later than i would expect okay so what were you thinking what were some of your notes so why did nobody truly check the eyes of the tattoos yes because yes he gets the tattoos put on but there's no way that from a a written document that they he has been able to precisely get the exact tattoos that this kid had not only that they were quite fresh done by somebody yeah so they'd be quite scabby, yep. sore. I mean, again, he's rugged up and covered up a lot. So I don't know how long gloves were on him. Yep. But again, are you going to be wearing gloves 24-7? How did nobody at the children's center pick up that he went from black hair to blonde? Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, again, same idea. He's wearing a hat all the time. But is he wearing a hat all the time? Is there no point that a bit of blonde hair fell out? Is <laughs> yeah. there no point he had to take his hat off or his knock up or anything? Yeah, you could see it. You, there's some point he has to have, he have to have seen blonde, and you go, why have you bleached your hair? And even then, as Nancy Fisher from the FBI mentions, yes, he's blonde, and that's all well and good. Mm. But she notices the stubble. Yeah. Yes, of course, he's at a stage. If we're accepting the age that, that he that says that he is, stubble. we'll have stubble. But it's extraordinarily dark stubble yeah. for a child. Yeah, you know, and again, being blonde and quite fair hair. Your stubble generally isn't that dark. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I've got an uh, uncle who's blonde and he barely ever has to shave. Yeah, no, that's and right. And he's in his 50s. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, you don't grow blonde hair that quickly, the blonde stubble that quickly. No, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Another side of it is, and again, it really comes back a little bit to him himself, 
I know he was flying by the seat of his pants. Yeah. But surely to goodness, there were just things like, what did he expect would happen when his hair started to grow back mm. or grow longer and there was black under this blonde? Yeah. Why didn't he play more with the memory loss? You have this beautiful opportunity to sit there and say, I remember nothing. Yeah. I've lost my memory. It is gone. Mm. I don't remember any of you guys. I don't remember any of this stuff. Now, and again, he might play, might have the fact of it was the 90s. You know, they sit there and the Spanish judge that they went, who are these people in these photos? Right. After being told that he's experienced trauma and memory loss. Yes. To me that I sort of went, well, if this were legit... Mm. He'd have memory loss and not know. I feel like that memory loss story, though, especially in terms of the trauma, mm. really came out more when he was in the States. Yeah. Because he yes. really needed it to. Needed it to, most certainly. Yeah. With the FBI and the PI, there was this big sort of thought of a conspiracy, a cover-up. Yeah. However, I f- honestly feel... And again, we don't have a full story. No. It doesn't actually end on a completion. No. And that's the sad thing. Uh, abductions, missing people often doesn't. No. But I honestly feel, as my gut says, that these people were just wanting it to be true. Yeah. They probably even sat there and thought, this isn't Nicholas. Yeah. But would tell themselves, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because they wanted to believe. Well, automatically when the sister arrives in Spain and sees him, she's saying, oh, you know, you've got our uncle's nose. (laughs) You know, just really picking out at things yeah. because the first thing she would have noticed above anything mm. would be his height. Yeah. That's a huge growth spoke. Oh yeah. And again, not saying that that is not possible, but it's not likely. It's not likely. And it is extraordinary. So mm. if you're seeing, if you're noticing that and you're like, oh my gosh, Nicholas has grown so much. You you then are automatically looking, aren't you? And she finds it, so to speak. Yeah. She finds it. Oh, you know, and she keeps saying, oh, you know, he's got his nose like that. Yeah. She points out that Nicholas had a bit of a gap between his teeth. Yep. Um, you know, Frederick has that as well. Yep. But it's almost like clutching at straws, yeah, isn't it? That's it, that's it. Because you do want it to be true. Yeah. Because let's face it also, all this aside, you would be saying, even if you had doubt, who would make up a story like this? Yes, that's it. From the who other would, side of the world. Yeah, who, who would, do, would it? do that? Absolutely. If this was presented as a work of fiction from a creative mind sitting at his typewriter saying, oh, I've got an interesting screenplay and it was made into a film, we would watch it and be like, oh, wow. You yeah. know, great film, but there is no way you would ever call it credible. That's it. That it could that's possibly it. happen. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the suggestions in this film to account for the family's behavior mm. beyond the grief and wanting mm. it to be true is a plot twist that plot I don't twist. I don't think anyone sees coming. I know I never did when no. I, you know when I didn't see it, but it is a suggestion that the family are aware of what happened to Nicholas all those years mm. ago and they're covering it up mm. because of foul play at the hands of Nicholas's now deceased older brother. Yes. And the suggestion is that the older brother, Jason, and perhaps the mother as well, had something to do with his disappearance. And so, here's this person claiming to be Nicholas. Yeah. We've got to embrace this, because if Nicholas is here in our living room, he's not dead dead, or anything like that. There is one thing that Frederick says, and again, Frederick's the one who puts it forward that perhaps Nicholas died at the hands of his family members. And he does tend to point more to Jason than anybody else. And that's when he had said that he had only seen Jason once. Mm. And the thing that Jason says to him is, good luck, and leaves. 
implying, I have no idea who you are, kid, mm. but good luck with this venture. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is you're doing and wants no acknowledgement and nothing to do yeah. with him. So, Phil, what did you think about this suggestion that Nicholas has passed on and that his family are responsible or members of his family at least are responsible? Look, uh, it comes down to Arkham's razor for me. The most simple answer is the correct answer. Right. That when you cut away all the other BS floating around things, the simple... Let's face it, there's a lot in this film. There is a lot, there's a lot. (laughs) So I still sit... My gut still says that it's just their grief. That is the most simple, logical answer. Yeah. That the mind is capable of this amazing stuff, including tricking you, your eyes in broad daylight. Right. But after saying that, the murder thing fits just as equally. Yes. However, that there needs a whole extra layer of complexity. It needs a film onto itself to explore legitimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly feel him saying good luck is him realizing, yeah, you're not the brother. Mm. But seeing how happy the rest of the family were just leaves it. I mean, how many times have you had an argument with a family member where you know full well you're right and they're insane? Oh, I'm always right, Philip, so every time. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And so, but with that, you know full well what something odd is going on, but you just leave it because you're like, it's family. And by this stage, Jason's probably just tired of it all. There's been media, there's been... There's been a media circus. There's been questions by the police. There's been all this sort of stuff. And then he gets there and it's not even his brother. And he's just like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. Well, one way that I could look at that is, first of all, we have to accept that Jason said to Frederick, Good luck. Posing as Nicholas. Yeah, good luck. We have to accept that that even existed at all. This is true too, yeah. If it did exist, and let's for argument's sake say that Jason genuinely believed that that was Nicholas, his little brother. Yeah. We know that Jason and Nicholas weren't close anyway. And apparently it was when Jason moved into the family home that there started to become tension. Yes. And that Nicholas seemed to have quite a bit of problems at home. Yes. And the dynamics changed. So clearly these boys are not close at all. No. And you sense that there was no genuine love or affection for his younger brother anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was probably even more of a, oh, you're back. I'm no longer living here. I've moved out. Yeah. I don't I, care for you. Yeah. I, I, I didn't care that you left. I yeah. don't care that you're back. Yeah. It's, I just don't care. Yeah. Good luck just getting back onto it. Mm. And who knows? Maybe there's some resentment. The attention's on you. It's not on me. Yep. Yep. Um, all of these different things. We could read into it so many ways. Yeah. But as you've said, it could also be like, you are not my brother. Good luck, mm. mate. And you know what? Actually, thinking of the Arkham Razor side of things, mm. your side, your view is probably actually a lot closer. Could be. Because, yeah, thinking about the resentment. I'd actually forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, thinking about the resentment and stuff. Yeah, you're right. There, there's a good chance that he just didn't care. Yeah. I mean... That's the simplest answer. Well, yeah. I mean, Jason seemed to have a self-absorbed lifestyle. Um, it seemed to be more focused on his drug addiction and mm. so forth. Mm. Once again, he wasn't living at his family home by this time, so it seems like he sorted something out. He was still taking drugs, we assume, because Mm. he died of a drug overdose, but he seemed to be a bit more self-sufficient. You do sense that Nicholas was more of a nuisance. Yes. I mean, let's face it, the the poor kid was 13 years old. Yes. He's supposed to be annoying. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, all of these different things. But it's, again, difficult to say. The theory that Kerry, their sister, puts out is... Well, it's easy to blame Jason. He's not here to defend himself. You know, 
there's so many different angles, and to me, they all make sense. Yes, yes. Which makes this documentary on some levels frustrating, but also one of the most brilliant documentaries I've ever seen. Yes. So one person who really bugged me throughout this entire piece was Nancy Fisher, the FBI agent. Oh, okay. So what were your thoughts on her? For me, she just did not seem, regardless of what actually happened and what the outcome was and all that stuff, throughout this whole piece, she just did not seem to understand human emotion. Right. And that frustrated me to no end because she's meant to be part of the FBI that deals with grief, loss, Mm. uh, people who have lost people. She's not some... You know, on some desk duty job that that she never interacts with people. She's meant to be a face of the lost department. Do you feel, though, that that comes across or they were her feelings and sentiments? Because essentially when she sees Nicholas for the first time, the initial reaction is, this is not Nicholas. So she switches from, I've got grieving people here or I've got this fantastic reunion, I've got this extraordinary story too, something's not right. Mm. It sounds extraordinary on paper. I'm now looking at this kid that is clearly not this kid. Yeah. I need to know for sure before I can move on. And then there is, according to her, the family dispute this, a pattern of behavior yeah. that prevents her from coming in closer to investigate further. Yeah, Look, I, and I do appreciate that, but just going off the earlier stuff, remembering that... In this documentary, we are taking things chronologically. Yes. Early on, she has this idea that, you know, oh, they're not acting right. At no point does she seem to... And again, maybe it was just the way the questions were posed, but she doesn't seem to accept that... Oh, but why would you take a stranger in? Mm. Because you're grieving. Yeah. Because you want it to be true. You want it more than anything in the world. When I was young, I started questioning a few things about Santa. So the big questions in life. The big questions in Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And my folks thought, you know what, he's a bit young to find out, rah, rah, rah. So what it was, was I asked about Santa and mum and dad turned around and says, yes, but do you really think, you know, you think about all the toys you've gotten and think about how much it will cost. Do you really think we'd do that? And my naive brain turns around insultingly and turns around and says, yeah, Aww. of course. You guys wouldn't spend that much on me. <laughs> Taking the backhanded compliment as a win, my folks left it. And then obviously later on I found out the whole shebang. But I was asking questions, yeah. yet I wanted to believe so badly that I accepted the notion that my folks don't spend money on me. Right. Now, yeah, okay, young kid, it's a little different here, but the brain does that throughout your entire life. Yeah. And... For something this big and traumatic, your brain has a good chance of going, yes, I remember this incident like this. Yeah. I accept now that he, some agent turned his eyes you know, red. Yeah. I, I accept that he's now got black hair because of some chemicals he was injected with. Now, again, that's ironically not using Arkham's razor. No. But it is how the brain processes information it can't handle. And this is not anything, even though the story itself is Mm. quite extraordinary, the circumstances around it, the human emotions, the psychological reasoning is nothing new. nothing new. History is full of people coming to the door and saying, I'm your long lost son. Yeah. And even if the family member knows 100% that is not my child, that is not my brother, they will accept them because they want it so badly. Yeah. It's not too dissimilar to when people witness something 
All you have to do is read some witness accounts to the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah. There is that huge debate about, oh, it broke in half above sea level. No, it never broke in half. It did this. Now, that is something quite significant. You would notice if such a huge ship broke in half or yeah. not. But many would say, oh, no, it never happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know what? I just had a flash when you were saying about rocking up to the doorstep. Yeah. You'll enjoy this. I just had a flash to uh, The Simpsons with Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's but, you're right. That's it. Exactly. Yes, yeah. that's a cartoon. But yes, that's no. the style of thing we're talking about. That yeah. You rock up and the mother in that in The Simpsons. Um, um, oh, my name is Agnes and you know it's Agnes. It means lamb. Lamb of God. Agnes is her name. Agnes um, <laughs> wants to believe that her son is alive so badly that she'll accept that this is a completely different person. Yes. He even says, I think in his monologue, that we both knew. Yes, exactly. So this to me is why Nancy, getting back to Nancy, Nancy bugged me because she, at least in my viewing of this, while she ended up being right... She came about it in, I felt, a horrible way by just assuming that something was afoot. By assuming, even 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 accusing them of murdering their child. Mm. Yes, there is questions to be had, but she doesn't seem to want to accept, even now. But why would you take in a stranger? Mm. Because they're grieving. Yeah. Now, that's not me saying that's the definite answer. But you've got just as much proof that they are grieving as you have of an actual murder in this point. Yep. One of the other people in this film who is not really ever convinced by Nicholas is Charlie. Yes. The private investigator. He was an interesting character. He was a very interesting character. And obviously somebody who's done his job really well for Mm. so long. Doesn't have a 100% strike rate, as we see. (laughs) But in saying that, I'm just absolutely impressed with how he is convinced that Nicholas is not Nicholas. What a great thing to look at. It's not something that I would ever consider. Mm. They have different ears. Yeah, and that's actually something that is now a forensic, but also just a medically documented thing that you have similar ear patterns to your parents. Yes. So... An ear pattern is quite often very similar to a fingerprint. Yes. This was another thing. Just side note. Yeah. You said to me before while we were watching it, why has nobody fingerprinted him? Yeah, exactly. Nobody. At no point does he get fingerprinted, and that is disturbing. Yeah. But yes, you're right. This guy, this private detective, has picked up the earlobes that Mm. are different, and that... Your earlobes, unless you are mangulated, mm. your earlobes do not change from birth. No. They get they get bit, bigger. Yeah, they get a bit bigger and yeah. longer as you get older, yeah. Yeah, but they don't necessarily change their shape. That's right. And especially when we're looking at the course of a few years, yes, there yes. isn't going to be anything significant. I just thought that that was extraordinarily clever and i'd never heard of that before Mm. watching this and i just thought wow that is some attention to detail and it's interesting you can change your hair color you can create a story about why your eyes are different but you can't change ears the ears were never a were never a consideration for frederick yeah and phil did you have any other thoughts or notes yeah i found it very interesting that once it's finally done by 
Interpol. Why, one, he spent so little time in jail. Yes. You know, I mean, because he seems to have racked up, at least by the documentary standards, he seems to have racked up quite a list. Yeah. I would have thought that would have entailed at least life in prison, but it got like, what, six years? It was six years. Uh, would you really think life imprisonment for perjury, though, and fraud? I think because it's a uh, repeat offence. Yeah. Sort of thing. But then again, they've got different laws. We, we I think we have... Stricter laws for repeat offenders. I don't know. I, I, I have nothing to back that up on. So, <laughs> shut up. I'm just going to state a fact and then recant it. <laughs> I said I would think and then I said, but I'm not sure. Oh, Philip. <laughs> I would just think that you'd get a bit more time than like six years. Yeah. And this guy now, he's gone on to have a wife and kids. He's obviously famous for what he's done I struggled like I know there's someone out there for everyone but I just would struggle to think that there'd be a good trust (laughs) to be had you know you'd be sitting there constantly in bed just going are you really the person you say you are well I'm interested now in has he stopped impersonating people because has he now found the love the acceptance acceptance he's been craving for the whole time I mean look I think what he's done to this family is a horrible thing. Yeah. But again, he is such a charismatic human being. I can't deny this. Yeah. I'm happy that he's at least seemed to found what he was looking for this whole time. Yeah. So, Philip, what were your final thoughts and a score out of five for The Imposter? I really, really love documentaries. I always have, have since I was a little kid. And this was no exception for me. I did find myself a little... A bit of bitter taste in the <laughs> mouth because this is one recent documentaries documentaries about recent events always leave me feeling a little incomplete mm-hmm. but that really is just the nature of the beast of documentaries yeah so for me i'd definitely give this a solid four out of five yeah definitely worth a watch if you're into documentaries definitely worth a watch if you're into true stories and real life events Yeah, for me, it was always the idea that we've got an unreliable source. Mm. And I have to say, I believe pretty much everything he says in this film. And I feel foolish for doing so. Because (laughs) the whole film is about what a convincing liar he is. And I think that complexity is what makes this film stand out for me. Because again, you know, you go into a documentary really trusting and believing what you're seeing. Because it's going to be well researched. It's going to be edited in a certain way. Yes, there will always be a filmmaker's bias. I understand this. But this one for me is the protagonist is so unreliable. Yeah. But he is also the best source. Yes, yes. Yeah. I love that. You get you get the feeling that he's got nothing to lose. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I love that contradiction, that complexity of it. This is quite a unique documentary in that regards. I'm like you. I love documentaries. And I'm sure we'll be reviewing a lot more down the track. But... For me, yeah, this is an absolute standout. Four and a half out of five for me. Beautiful. So, Philip, what do you have in store for us next time? Next time, I have something a little bit different. Fantastic. So, Wayne, would you say you're a Star Wars fanatic? No. Good. (laughs) Because I would say that I am. You absolutely are. I'm a fan. You're a fanatic. So, what this is, being a little bit different, it is actually a three-part series on YouTube. Wow, okay. Where the YouTuber takes us through what if the Star Wars prequels were actually good. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> Just, I'm laughing because I know your thoughts on the Star Wars yeah, prequels. Yeah. And whenever we begin to discuss them, I have to shut the conversation down because I can't win. <laughs> we may have finally found a controversial piece. <laughs> Yeah, if you thought the review to Romper Stompo was, you know, one where we couldn't agree on, but yet we still came to the same score, this is going to be interesting, and I look forward to it, Philip. Beautiful. <laughs> so, on that note, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced, experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. boom ba boom ba boom ba ba <laughs> and scene.